take just a minute. Uh, you can go ahead and sit down. Take a minute to pray individually. You know, sometimes it's just we have so many things uh, going on during the week. And sometimes it's hard to put those out of our mind and refocus our, our thoughts and our heart upon our Savior and upon our God. So just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes, um, ask God to help you put away the distractions of the week. Ask God to help you to focus your heart on him this morning. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Praise Team. I want to welcome everybody who's here as uh, online or in person. Thank you for joining us. We're sure appreciate you being with us this morning. We have a couple things going on. First of all, I want to announce that immediately after the service, we're having a potluck fellowship time. So whether or not you came prepared for that doesn't matter. You're invited to join us and stay uh, for the presentation. Pablo and Bethany are missionaries here. Uh, from Romania, so we're excited. We're going to hear from them in just a minute, but then they'll uh, present a little bit more detailed uh, information on what's happening in their life and ministry, and we're looking forward to that. I want to welcome you here if you're on uh, online or in person. If you're here in person for the very first time, there is an extra flap in the bulletin. Please fold that and uh, fill it out and put it in the offering as you would. Uh, right now, the Generation Jesus uh, folks, uh, you know who you are. If you're involved in that, they're, they're being dismissed, so they can go immediately. When I get up, uh, Sunday school is going to, their Sunday school kids are be dismissed, but not right now. We're going to let you hear from Pablo uh, as he uh, is, is interviewed. There's also one more thing in your bulletin. Some of you got this little piece of paper it says vote yes or no okay so I don't know why that was so complicated to come out but it was uh, anyway <laughs> you, you you have a chance to vote a few weeks ago we uh, we did kind of a, a survey we just kind of tried to assess where the congregation was the elders been praying and thinking about uh, bringing on a associate in youth ministry and so uh, we kind of got some good feedback from you then and uh, some commitments financially and feel like we should be going ahead with it wanted to give one more chance for the congregation maybe even a little broader uh, range of folks would weigh in on it if you're a member please do vote uh, put your little pallet ballot in the box out there and uh, we'll take that under advisement as we consider and prayerfully uh, think about moving forward if you aren't able if you're online or for those of uh, people who were uh, not can't vote in person here don't want to do that you can do it online the, just go to uh, uh, creekside www.creeksidedm.com backslash vote so that's not too complicated just uh, find our website and and put a backslash in a vote so that's all we'd ask you to do sure appreciate you doing that i'm going to call my brother mark klein who's the elder here and he's gonna uh, have a few questions for our missionary uh, thanks steve 
Uh, we're, we have the privilege this morning of having a visit from some of our missionaries that we support regularly, Pablo and Bethany Calderon. Um, you guys come on up here. We're going to ask them a couple questions as a brief interview and teaser for the potluck. And if you didn't come prepared for the potluck, please stay anyways um, to hear their report. They are missionaries in Romania, which, as you know, borders Ukraine. And they've had a very active part in ministering to Ukraine refugees this year, which you'll get to hear about. But uh, I know that you guys, we sent you out from our church um, to Romania, was it five or six years ago now? And you haven't been back in over four years. So we've got some newer people here. So I'm going to ask you some questions to kind of let everybody know about who you guys are and what you're doing. Um, so maybe it's a little loose here. Um, start with Bethany. And um, tell us a little bit about your current ministry location and some of your main ministry activities. <laughs> well, we are located kind of in the middle of Romania. It's a town called Brasov. And it's a town of 300, about 300,000 people. So it's a big city. And we kind of focus on three main ministry areas right now. Pablo still does a lot of the music ministry with the Ineloquent. I'm sure many of you maybe know Dan and Georgiana Aikens as well. They went to Emmaus Bible College with us. And they moved out there nine years ago and continued the work. So when we joined them, they still do their Ineloquent ministry, music ministry. Um, the sports ministry, Pablo can tell you more about that, but he's really involved with um, sports and youth work. And then most recently, probably since February, we do um, Ukrainian refugee ministry as well. And I'm sure he can go into more detail about that. Okay. Thanks. Um, Pablo, tell us about some of the main areas this year where you've seen the Lord working through your ministry. Honestly, uh, I think it was four years ago, we kind of prayed about how we can reach out to the community because for a while, for, two, for the first two years, we were focused on the church and getting to know the church uh, body there in our city. And uh, we kind of just decided uh, through prayer to share the gospel through our lives. And we've seen how the Lord has opened opportunities just by living the gospel as best as we can because we're not the greatest at times, most of the time. But uh, just by doing that, we've seen how the Lord really uh, just op opens the opportunity to share the gospel with, with our vo voice. And you've seen that with the Ukrainian refugees? Yeah, with, uh, with the Ukrainians, it's more of a uh, with your life than speaking because most of them don't speak any English or Romanian. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've seen it there very clearly. And, uh, so tell, tell us just briefly maybe about one of your border runs to Ukraine. I, I know you're going to share more about that in your report, and there's a lot to say about that, but I know we've been all kind of hearing about that in the news and hearing updates from you guys and thinking and praying for you guys, so just maybe a quick experience there. Should I share the military one? Sure. A fun one, I guess. We were actually returning back, uh, some of the guys from our church. We went to Ukraine to send some things with one of our partner churches there, and uh, on our way back, the hitch was kind of giving us some problems, and uh, I told one of our guys, the driver, I said, hey, let's stop right here, and uh, I'll go fix the hitch. Sure enough, we stop. I start working on it, and I hear Russian in the background. I'm like, eh, that's not for me because obviously I don't speak Russian. But the, the voices kept getting louder and louder, and Russia, uh, Russia spoken mainly in Ukraine as well. And uh, I turn around, and I see two military guys with their AKs walking pretty quickly towards me, and I'm just like, uh, a friend, I'm a friend, I'm a friend, I'm okay, I'm, I'm fixing the hitch, and they're like, go, and I was like, okay, 
we left, and we, when we turned around, there's another guy charging towards us from, from the military base. So we're thankful by the grace of God that everything went okay, but we were really trusting the Lord in that trip, as we also heard, or I didn't hear it, but there were air raids as we were sleeping over us. So, yeah. Okay, so stay, come, stay for the potluck report. There's some exciting uh, things to hear about. Um, Bethany, um, what are some of the main challenges or ways we can pray for you guys in your family life and ministry? I'd say number one, obviously, just to pray for fruit to be, you know, that we can see some of the fruit because um, there's a lot of work that goes involved in it, and sometimes you don't necessarily get to see um, the outcome of that. So we're just praying for the fruit, especially in these kids' lives with the ultimate Frisbee. Um, you could also just pray. Pablo's extremely busy. Um, he wears several different hats, and so just getting enough family time sometimes is a little hard for him. Um, and you could pray for our girls, too, as they, as they grow up. Carolina has made a profession of faith. Mila's still only three, but we just pray that she would also soon make a profession of faith and that they would grow in their faith as well. Now let me uh, pray for you guys. Lord, just thank you for calling Pablo and Bethany Calderon to your service in Romania. Thank you for our part in sending them and supporting them monthly and quarterly uh, in our gifts and prayers. And we just ask that you would strengthen them and their family and marriage and uh, help Pablo to balance his priorities, Lord, to not only be faithful in the ministries there, but to be faithful as a husband and father in the home and bless them in that. And they're raising their daughters for you. Uh, pray that Mila would come to know Jesus as her Savior at an early age. And we pray that you would bless the, the ongoing ministry there of the Romanians uh, who kind of wonder why some Americans would choose to come to their country to serve. Um, why leave America to come to a place like Romania? And then they're there, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would bless that ministry and that, you would, that it would bear fruit and they would get to see the fruit uh, that they're praying for. And we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you very much. That's uh, very encouraging and enlightening. And I'm looking forward to hear hearing more stories and uh, more about the ministry. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee, there you go, reaching people for Jesus by playing with a Frisbee. That's a, that's a new one. Um, but uh, hey, whatever it takes, right? That's all right. You can, you can reach the lost with a lot of different ways as a platform for doing that. I'd invite you to uh, join me as we Look to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to worship Him through the study of His Word. Father, we come this morning and we need to hear from You, and so I pray that You would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from Your law. I ask that You would open our hearts to be receptive to what You want to say to us. And I pray, Father, I pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathering in other congregations here and around the world, that as the gospel goes forth, that the word of God would, as you promised, not come back void without accomplishing that for which you sent it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. William Carey uh, preached a message one time, and the title of his message was this, and some of you have heard this statement, it was expect 
great things from God, attempt great things for God. Now, William Carey didn't just preach it, he practiced it. He served as a missionary in Southeast Asia for 41 years. A bold faith in a big God isn't just something that William Carey incarnated, but you just saw a, a, a young couple up here, uh, Pablo and Bethany and their family, who are living it out in Romania. I'd like to contend that living with a bold faith in a big God isn't just something for Green Beret Christians who are serving somewhere in a far-off land. It is for them, but it's also for, for us, us as well. It's not restricted to them, but it's expected of every believer because we've been put on this planet to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so we need this bold faith because we live in a hostile world, a world that's contrary to the very message that we're proclaiming. And so I'd like to draw some insights and help, uh, draw upon some help that we can get from an example in the Old Testament. It looks to me like uh, I, I'm drawing from the example of Jonathan today. We can gain insight from his life and his bold faith. First Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 14. So I'm inviting you to turn in your Bibles or if you have your phone, you have an app on your phone, you can use your device or you can reach under the seat in front of you if you're in the soft seats and there should be a Bible there. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and we're going to we're going to cover chapter 13 and a lot of chapter 14 by God's grace this morning. So uh, we want to look and I think uh, as I looked at this passage this past week, it seems to me that uh, Jonathan's action, his courage, his courageous action in these verses reveal five marks of bold faith in the lives of those through whom God works to bring himself glory. And so I'm in chapter one, uh, 13, I'm going to begin with verse 1, I'm going to read down for several verses and then I'm going to stop and I'll uh, read a few verses in chapter 14 and then we're not going to read all of it. I uh, wish we could, but we don't have time for right now, so I'm going to try to fill in the gaps. Saul was 40 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 32 years over Israel. Now I'll stop right there because the 40 years and the 32 years are probably not in some of your texts, so these are, uh, it's like, okay, we don't know exactly all what's there, so just, he, he reigned, but we know that he reigned for 40 years, and, and he was about 32 years old, so when he started. Verse 2, now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash, and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, but he sent away the rest for, of the people, each to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and, uh, and the Philistines heard of it. And then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that, the Philistine, or that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. And now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Mishmash, east of Bethaven. 
when the men of Israel saw that they were saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, which Samuel had set that time. This is parenthetical thought in chapter 10, verse 8, okay? Now I'll start again in verse 8. And the people were scattering from him, and so, so Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings, and it came about, as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, that, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept the Lord, what, what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. I'm going to skip down now. I'm going to start in chapter 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistine garrison that is on yonder side. But he, he did not tell his father. And Saul was staying in the outskirts of, of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. And the one crag rose from the north opposite Mishmash, and the other on the opposite uh, the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the armor bear, the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison, the garrison of the uncircumcised, these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And the armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself here. I am with you according to your desire. I'm going to stop there. Five marks of a bold faith in those whom God chooses to use for his glory. And the first that I see in the text is that bold faith irritates the opposition. It's offensive. And there's two actions here. The demonstration of old faith in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Jonathan, and, and this is kind of, chapters 13 and 14 are really one unit. 
So we see Jonathan's courageous faith in contrast to Saul's cowardly fear throughout the section, okay, throughout these two chapters. Now, war with the Philistines was Saul's plight from the beginning of his reign to his end of his reign. It was just something he had to endure the entire time that he was the king of Israel. And the people of Israel then and, and God's people today also, I suggest, face constant and significant opposition, not from Philistines necessarily, but if you want to use his term, from the uncircumcised, the, those people who aren't of the kingdom of God, those people who aren't God's people. So we see that the Philistine army arrayed against Israel was the attack of the, the pagan world against God's people. Okay? They were supposed to go into the land and conquer the land, and these people were, were a problem to them. And I say that we face a significant and, uh, and, and constant opposition. I, I just think, okay, just read the news. The la this last week, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, passed the bill that's titled like, the Respect for Marriage Act, which is exactly the opposite of what it is. Okay, um, This Respect of Marriage Act that it has been passed by the House, not by the Senate yet, would repeal a former law which basically defined marriages between the union of one man and one woman. And it would codify same-sex marriage in the United States. The bill demands that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ respect what God condemns. Okay? You need to understand it. it. It threatens our expression of religious freedom if we would disagree with that law. And if we would act contrary to that law. And so we need to understand that these are the kind of things that we, we face. And so while Saul is in mishmash, um, Jonathan smote the garrison of the, garrison of the Philistines, a little uh, group of troops, okay, in Geba. So what is significant here is that despite their sin in asking for a king, which uh, we don't have time to get into all that, but we, we, we were, last time I preached, we were in chapter 1, okay, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, so you gotta got to skip a lot of stuff, but in there they appointed a king, which was grievous to God because God was their king. And so they were rejecting God as their king. But even in spite of all that, in chapter 12, we learn that, that, that Samuel assured them that God would not abandon them if they would fear him and serve him. So in spite of their rebellion, he says, I'll still, I'll still not abandon you if you fear me and serve me. So Jonathan, in my opinion, was acting in faith upon the, the promise of God. He was serving God and believing that God wouldn't abandon his people. And you know what? We have the same promise as believers today that God will not abandon us Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Lo, I'm with you always. How long? Even to the end of the age. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He'll never leave you or forsake you. God has promised he'll be with us. And so we have this, this, uh, this demonstration of faith. And how was it reacted? How, what was the reaction to it? In uh, the end of verse 3 and, and, first, and all of verse 4, you see, we read this. And it says, Then Saul... Uh, 
blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. Interesting, isn't it? Who, who won the battle? Jonathan. But Saul toots his own horn. And, and, and so everybody hears, you know, that uh, literally, that Saul won the battle. But Saul didn't win the battle. It was Saul's victory, so he said. But Israel, but then they find out that all Israel heard that Saul won, but they also heard what? They had become odious. They had become a stench to the Philistines. They were reprehensible and not appreciated by the Philistines. And so the faith in action that confronts the world opposition receives retribution. It's not fun. It's not received well. And it shouldn't be surprising to us. Jesus told us that in John chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse, uh, verse uh, 18. I don't know yet. It's as if the world hates you. You know that it has hated me before it hated you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I had a conversation this week, this past week, with a public school teacher. And uh, this public school teacher was sharing with me how in their training as teacher education uh, that this teacher had been asking questions and asking questions that were challenging the, the party line, the party line that uh, she uh, needed to teach uh, critical race theory, that she needed to embrace uh, certain perspectives on racism and that she needed to uh, use the proper pronouns and to go along with the LGBTQ plus agenda. And whenever she asked a question, she was just shut down, ignored, silenced. This is, this is it. But here I would suggest that when we live in bold faith and confront these things, we're going to be opposed. But God has called us to expose sin. Why? So that we can exhort people to repentance and faith in Christ. Not just so that I can prove I'm right, but so that I can bring people to righteousness. That's what I need to be reminded of. Because sometimes I just want to be right. But no, it's so that we can bring them to righteousness. And we do so exhibiting compassion. So we expose the sin, exhort sinners to repent and receive Christ, and do it with compassion. And also with conviction. So that's the first mark, is that when we stand up for our faith, it's going to be irritating to other people. Secondly, bold faith identifies fake devotion. There's a two-step process that I see in the text. And first of all, the magnitude of the opposition incites fear in those who really have fake devotion. And I, I see this in, in verse 5. So I just want you to read verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled. So all of God's people had become odious. They'd become a stench to the Philistines. And how did the Philistines react? <laughs> verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots. Now, some would say 3,000 chariots. I don't care whether it's 30,000 or 3,000. It's a bunch. Okay? 6,000 horsemen, and the number of 
military ground troops like the sand of the sea. That's a bunch. It's a lot. Okay? So it's a, it's a big group that's assembled against them. December 7th, 1941. The bombing of Pearl Harbor. The Japanese feared that they would be rousing a sleeping giant. And they did. When Jonathan defeated the Philistine garrison, he aroused a sleeping giant. And that was the magnitude of it that caused people to fear. And then the manifestation of the fear, uh, but not faith, is, is seen in two responses by the, the people who really had fake devotion and not, not sincere devotion. First of all, there was desertion by the people. In verses 6 and 7, it was like you turn on the light and watch the cockroaches uh, scatter. It's like you flip on the switch and boom, they're gone. Every, they're just scurrying. And here the text says that they, had, they were hard-pressed. Okay? They, they had been, the, the, the force was terrifying. The size of that force, they were hard-pressed in the sense, and they had also forsaken God. That Because they were forsaking God, this is, now if you have your Bibles open, look chapter 12. Verses, verse 20 and 21. And Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all, e all evil, this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And you must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon His people if they continue to serve Him. But because they had not continued to serve Him, they were in this hard-pressed situation. And then, not only did they not serve him, but they did not trust him in the midst of the situation. So their lack of reverence for God and their lack of reliance upon God moved them to scatter like those cockroaches. Like, what else are we going to do? We can't trust God. We don't believe God. We're not serving God. We're fearful. We're going to run. And they hid in caves that's what the text says. They hid in caves and in thickets and in cliffs and in cellars and in pits. I mean, anywhere they hid. Okay. And here's my suggestion, my thought. When our eyes are off of God, the situation looks pretty bleak. In the first service this morning, Bob uh, Short shared this challenge that, was it? Discouragement is a sin. He heard a guy say this. Discouragement is always a sin. I'm not sure I'm buying that, but I think despair would always, always be a sin. Discouragement, not maybe necessarily, but despair would always be. And so when we, when we are despairing of the situation, when the situation overwhelms us to the point that we forget that we are to be serving God and that we are to be trusting in the strength of God, then we're like, oh, we don't know what to do. It looks grim. Significant pressure. There is significant pressure in our, uh, to cower in the corner and to hide our convictions in the face of the overwhelming and formidable opposition of a world that laughs at the thought of a six-day literal creation. Of a world that spurns the idea that there is only one way 
to God, and that's through personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that He is the only way to God. At a world that promotes Marxism, which says that government, not God, is God, you know, that government is the God. In a world that teaches that it, through critical race theory that it, racism is okay. It just depends on which race you want to be racist towards. In a world that wants to dissolve the nuclear family as God intended and God created it. In a world that wants to purport and support the LGBTQ plus agenda. So exposing and, and then opposing these unbiblical principles and practices will cost us. It may cost some of you your job. It may cost some of us uh, relationships within our family. It may cost some of us relationships with our friends. It may cost the ruination of our reputation or the downfall of a business that we might have. Let's ask God, I think, for courage and wisdom to know when we're supposed to show up, when we're supposed to stand up, when we're supposed to speak up for Christ. And again, remember, it's the exposing of the sin, and it's exhorting to repent and turn from the sin so that people can be saved, not just, and we do it with compassion, not just so that we can say, yeah, well, we're right. No, that's not it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John were told, uh, guys, you know, this is talking about Jesus. This is my paraphrase, okay? It's not exactly how it went down. It says, uh, you got to shut up. No more speaking about Jesus. And here's a response. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Am I, are you willing to speak the truth that sin needs to be identified because it must be repented of in order for us to turn from our sin and trust in the Savior. That's the gospel. There is no gospel without sin and repentance and faith in Christ who died and rose again from the dead. Am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So there was this desertion, but then there was this disobedience by Paul, Saul, I mean. Saul uh, is major disobedience, okay? So the, the, the corruption in Saul's life is, is a first consideration. Saul had been instructed by Samuel, you sit in Gilgal and you wait for me to come and then I will offer the sacrifices. That's what he was told. But the circumstances were pressing in on Saul. And what were the circumstances? Well, the military, the Philistine army was mounting its troops. And Samuel wasn't coming. And the people were scattering. This is verse 8. Okay, so I have to summarize some of this because we can't cover all of it. But they're, they're scattering. And this was a test of Saul's faith. Would he trust God and be obedient? Or would he take matters into his own hands and be disobedient how would he respond you know God tests our faith in similar ways and bold faith responds with trust not 
not, not cowardice and disobedience. Young people, will, will, will you honor your parents? When your peers press you to compromise? Test of faith. Will we forgive those who've hurt us deeply? Will the church continue to meet as the body of Christ when the state says you can't? Will we declare that same-sex marriage, just like murder and lying and stealing and cheating, is a sin that can be repented of and forgiven through the personal work of Jesus Christ? Will we keep sharing the gospel with our neighbors, our friends, our family members? Keep praying for them to come to know Jesus, even when they repeatedly refuse and, and turn us away and, and reject us. I hope so. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 10, the end of the verse says, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him, but Samuel said, what have you done? Samuel confronts Saul's corruption and listens to his lame excuses. Well, you know, I was in a tough spot, and so I, I forced myself to offer the sacrifice. I forced myself. Bold faith obeys God, despite the circumstances. And anemic faith makes excuses. We make excuses. Well, you know, how can I love a husband who is just a slob. How can I love a wife who doesn't respect me and, and, and doesn't care about me and demeans me in public? I can't forgive a friend who betrayed me. These are excuses, okay? We say, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you know what? One, number one, no, you can't. I can't. In our own power, in our own strength, we can't do what only God can do through us and in us. But number two, think about this. What we should say is, I won't. Because obedience is a choice. It's not a preference. It's a choice. Obedience is a choice. And finally, consider this, that obedience is a function of our surrender and our submission to Christ. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The mercy that God has extended to us, He expects us to extend to others. And we rely on the Lord's strength. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 6 and verse 13 are very uh, important verses, I think. Uh, who, who has already existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. For it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay. God works in us. We work with God. 
That's the corruption. Then the consequence of the disobedience is threefold. Notice what happened to Saul. What happened to Saul because he was disobedient to God? First of all, he lost God's position. God said, if you'd have been, uh, Samuel said, if you'd obeyed God, you'd have had the kingdom forever. That's my paraphrase. But no, he didn't. He lost God's position. Samuel is rebuked for his disobedience. Then he's restricted in his kingly inheritance. No, it's not going to go to you anymore. And he's removed. It's removed from him. The kingdom is removed from him. He's replaced by somebody coming after him. We all know who that is. That's David. He's coming after him. What was the reason for Saul's punishment? And, you know, you kind of think about it. If you think about it a little bit, I think that's a pretty harsh you know, I mean, the guy just offered, I mean, it was a pressure-filled situation, and he, he caved. It seems kind of harsh, but here's what God says. You suffered the consequence because you have not obeyed what the Lord commanded. Verse 13 and verse 14 both repeat that phrase in some form. You have not obeyed what the Lord commanded. It seems to me in my life and in many Christians' lives, that we're, we woefully underestimate God's abhorrence of our disobedience. We fail to grasp how offensive our disobedience is to a holy and righteous God because primarily we, we truncate, we, we cut off the extent of God's holiness, and we trivialize our own wickedness. Well, that's not really that bad, you know. I'm going to make excuses. It's a, you know, yeah, I'm better than a lot of people. God doesn't really care. He's not grading on the curve. It's pass-fail. And uh, Isaiah gives us a glimpse of this. I shared this passage at our prayer meeting this last or Wednesday, past Wednesday. But, uh, you know, Isaiah said, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe was filling the temple. And then he says, and the cherubim were covering their faces and covering their feet. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, before a holy and righteous God. He lost God's position. Then he lost God's prophetic voice or God's prophetic word. Verse 15 says that Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. Samuel left. This is the prophet of God. This is God's voice to the people. He's gone. No word of God. Creekside Church, we must avoid becoming like so many churches today with nice programs, Nice music, nice engagement in the community, support for missions, which are all good things, can be. But so many churches have these things, but they have not the voice of God. They have not the Word of God. They've rejected the Word of God. Lord, don't let that be us. A veneer of spirituality with the vital truth of God's, without the vital truth of God's Word is nothing. Serve God. We can't serve God. We can't worship God in, in truth without the truth. We have to have the truth. Then he lost the protection 
of God. I didn't read verses 16 through 23, but it's a fascinating read because there are three invasions from three different fronts. The Philistines are raiding uh, from different places. And then it says at the end of, of chapter 13 that there were the Israelites had to go to the Philistines to get their plows and their hooks or their hoes and everything sharpened, and they had no weapons except for Saul had a sword and a spear and Jonathan had a sword and a spear. So you got, oh, we got the whole Philistine army with chariots and riding on their horses and then walking in their troops. They got, they got spears, they got swords, they got stuff. And you have no weapons. They had no word of God. They had no weapons of men. That's a pretty dire situation. It, they, 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 were, they were hopeless and they were helpless. And I believe God brought them to that point because they'd been there before. Just like you and I have been there before. And God brings his people to these places, these situations where it's a function of their waning devotion, right? But they are precisely where God wanted them. Because over the course of history, what had God proven to his people when they were in just this type of situation? What he had promised them. What did he promise them? I won't abandon you. I won't leave you. He had proven time and time again. I couldn't help think about Gideon. You know, Gideon got 300 dudes. You know, you got 30,000 people, that's too many. You, you, need, you need to trim it down here. 300 against the Midianite army. God had proven time. And time. See, remember, the, the historical context is just after the period of the judges. And in the period of the judges, God had repeatedly taken them when they had rebelled and sinned against God, and then they had repented. He raised up a judge, and they'd experienced God's victory. Repeated, 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 and he's got them right there again. Bold faith in a righteous God identifies those who are falsely devoted, fake devotion. Thirdly, bold faith ignores obstructions. Now, there's two questions that are answered in verses 1 through 6. And the first one is, what sort of obstacles does bold faith ignore? And there are three obstacles that uh, Jonathan seemed to ignore. He ignored the tepid faith of other people. You see, the intention of Saul sitting under the pomegranate tree in the shade was comfort. The intention of Jonathan was conquest. Now, I'm summarizing verses 1 through 6, but you see in, in the very first verse of chapter 14, now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying the armor, come, let us cross over to the Philistine garrison that is on yonder side. But he did not tell his father. Now, what was his daddy doing? Daddy, who's the king with his 600 troops, is sitting under a pomegranate tree, doing nothing. Secondly, we see the integrity of Saul was compromised, but the integrity of Jonathan was commendable. What do I mean Saul was compromised? Well, he's a failed king. What did we read up in chapter 13? Right? Kingdom's gone from you, buddy. It's, you're done. You're washed up. You blew it. And he's got a failed priest. 
I can't go into it now, but there's a bunch of passages that link us to in 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 2 and chapter 3 that this priest was of the line of Hophni and Phinehas and they had had the priesthood. There would be no long-standing priest sitting on the, on the, you know, in the priestly position. So you got a failed king and a failed priest and they're collaborating. Sounds like a mess. He, and then, but then Jonathan, contrast that with Jonathan. Who is Jonathan? The son of Saul. The, pre, the, the, the prince of Israel. Next in line to sit on the throne. But what's true of him? He'll never sit on the throne. Because daddy blew it. Yet in his own integrity, he served God without hope of the benefit of sitting on the throne. What an example for us. There's no glory waiting Jonathan for defending God and his army on an earthly realm. And you know what? For I would say almost all, if not all of us, none for us either. We serve the king because he's the king, not because we're going to be king. And that's Jonathan. He would never sit as king, but he embraced his role as a servant in the Lord's kingdom. Bold faith isn't deterred by the complacency of others, but believes a big God for big things, like a small church like ours, trusting God to move forward to hire an associate in youth ministry. Oh, skeptics find every reason why we shouldn't. But bold faith doesn't ask that question. He's not deterred by the tepid faith, but he's not deterred by the terrain. The, the word bozes <clears throat> is, means slippery. And sina means thorny. Oh, that's good. We're either going up the slippery slope or we're going up the thorny slope. You know, which will it be? He didn't care. He wasn't intimidated by that. He wasn't intimidated by the terrifying op opponents the massive army that's arrayed against him, the massive opponents that you and I face, like a professor or a business partner or a boss who holds our future in their hands, like a family member who rejects us as a radical religionist or a media or the corporations that will shut us down, turn us off, cancel us, like they have done Mike Lindell, who's being turned off in his business suffering because he's an outspoken Christian. The second question of what does overcoming faith consist of? And I find verse 6 the kind of the uh, thing that grips me uh, really hard because first of all, overcoming faith is courage without certainty. Notice what Jonathan says to his, his armor bearer. Verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying the armor, come and let us cross over to the garrison. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to take half of our armaments, because they got two swords and two spears, and Jonathan has one of each, right? <laughs> Leave the others with the other 600. We're going to take half the armaments and two dudes, and we're going up against the garrison. And notice what he says. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. We got no guarantee. We're going to try. And I like what 
Davis says in his commentary, he observes this. He says, perhaps, when Jonathan says perhaps, he both confesses the power of Yahweh and retains the freedom of Yahweh. You see, courage to initiate a conversation with uh, a spiritual conversation with our neighbor or a family member or a coworker, uh, to pursue hiring a youth pastor, to pray for the healing of somebody who's, who's sick, or to defend the traditional family, or to resist uh, the gender and sexual perversion that's popular in our culture, um, perhaps the Lord will work for us, but we don't know. I mean, the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services said this, we need to empower kids to go on puberty blockers and to get sex reassignment surgery. I say we should, we should decry this statement and these practices as morally debased, spiritually depraved, theologically errant, biologically destructive, and sociologically detrimental, and absolutely, absolutely forgivable. See, it's not just that it's horrible, it's that it's sin, and that the sin is what needs to be addressed so that it can be repented of and turned from, so that people can know the Savior, because they're walking away from it. Courage without certainty and confidence in God's ability. Verse 6, the last part of it. Why is it that we can act and say, perhaps the Lord will work for us? For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. God plus you is all the majority you need. In fact, God is the majority you need. I need. He's it. I am God and there is no other, he says. Read it. Isaiah 40, chapters 43, 44, and 45. I alone am God, there is no other. I alone am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no other. (laughs) He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power which works mightily within us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He is able, God is able, the, the God who empowered Jonathan is the same God we serve. He's able to convert the most hardened unbeliever. He's able to soften their hearts and open their eyes that they might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's able to call back the most wayward child and bring him and her into the fold. He's able to cement broken relationships and bring them back. He's able to cure the worst diseases. He's able to comfort our deepest sorrow. He's able to call somebody to be the pastor, youth pastor at Creekside Church. God is able to care for our our team and people who are stepping out in faith and going to Haiti. He's able to care for them. He's able to provide for them. He's able to do it. He's able to conquer our enemy. What bold things are we believing our big God to do? without guarantee, but knowing that he can. Bold faith implements a plan of action. Remember, God is a God of the impossible. 
Sarah had a baby. Elizabeth had a baby. All things are possible with him. Bold faith implements a plan of action. Notice the action that he had. He had a plan. I'm not going to go through it all, but in verses 1 through 5, he states he, he, the plan is expressed. One sword, one spear, two dudes, we're going. Okay? Then the plan was implemented in verses 6 through 10 in chapter 14. They went up and they read I like this. We're going to go up and we're going to reveal ourselves to them. I mean, this was not, uh, you know, incognito. This was not a secret plan. It's not a covert operation. This was like, we're in your face. Hey, dudes, we're here. And if they say, we're coming down to you, we're going to stay put. If they say, come on up to us, then we're going. We know the Lord has given us a victory. How they knew that, I don't know. But they were going. That was their plan. And we know that Jonathan's faith was in God and for his glory. And it's evident based upon two facts. First of all, in the text, who gets the credit? Verse 12. For the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. We know that the Lord has given them. So he's given God credit. And then the next way we know it is because of how he addressed the enemy. In verse 6, these uncircumcised, it's, it's against God. It's not against even Israel. They're against God. These are the people who have an offense against God. Bold faith rests in God and returns God the glory. And what's the result? Verses 13 and 14, they whipped him. Okay, that's my, they whipped him. You know? And what was the consequence of the victory. Now read verse 15 with me. It says, and there was a trembling in the camp in the field. Now this is in the camp of the Philistines. Okay. And among all the people, even the garrison and the raiders trembled. And the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. I think it would be helpful if you'd see the fact that this is the antithesis of what happened. So it became those who caused the trembling, verse 11, these are the, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 13. In verse 13 it says, Samuel said, you, you have acted foolishly, you have not kept the commandment. Did I get that right? I don't think so. Anyhow, they, they had caused the trembling. The people who had caused the trembling, can't find it right now, but those who had caused the trembling, the Philistines, were the ones that caused the people of Israel to tremble, right? Now they're shaking in their boots. There's a whole lot of shaking going on, and it's not a song. They were just fearful of God and what God had done, and he just completely reversed things. Because that's who he is. God used the bold faith, the bold faith, of one man to deliver his people from a formidable enemy. Do we have a plan? Do we have a plan to pray for and, and reach and speak out to our neighbors about the gospel of Jesus Christ? To speak the truth and power to the, the people in school, the people in politics, in our church, in our community, in our culture? Do we have a plan for bold faith in loving our spouses? being obedient to our parents. There's one last mark of bold faith that I see in the text. Bold faith inspires others' participation. 
And this is verses 16 through 23 in chapter 14. And what happens is Jonathan's faith catches on. And they see the people running, and it's really ironic because Saul is there trying to uh, get Ahijah to get the Ark of the Covenant, to get the P- God on their side to do something against the Philistines. And then they notice, well, there's a commotion going on across the way. What's the commotion going on? Well, oh, God is already working. How'd that happen? Who's gone? Jonathan and his, oh, what happened? God used the faith. Jonathan, to unleash the power of God, he was, God was already working on behalf of the people. And consequently, Saul and all of Israel. Now, this is the people who, some of them had even turned traitors. Some of them had joined the Philistine army. Now they're joining back with the Israelites. The people in the caves came out of the caves. The people who had gone over to other countries, they're coming back. Everybody's on board now. Why? Because one man stood up and said, I believe God is able and perhaps he will work on our behalf. And the entire Philistine army was defeated, ran. They were the cockroaches now, running and hiding in the light. God uses the bold faith of one. It might be you. It might be me to inspire others to stand up for Jesus. Like Jonathan, late Supreme Court Justice Antony Scalia was was such a man. And here's what he said. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would, would view Christians as fools. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Bold faith. And a big God. And for all those who don't know Jesus, those who are unbelievers, your bold faith against a big God will only result in the wrath of God. And the people of God who are criticizing, who are calling to light the sins that you think are good, are doing so not just to prove themselves right, but so that you might be righteous. By putting your faith or your trust, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus who died on the cross so that you might have life and have it everlasting. Don't turn away from Christ. Trust Him. And those of us who know Jesus, what an encouragement to say and to live by this. Perhaps the Lord will work with us and for us. For God is not restrained to save by many or by few. And as we take bread and and juice we are only reminded of the power of God to redeem us that empowers us to live this bold faith let's pray father I thank you for your love for us and your mercy and I pray in my own life because I know I fall miserably short I just thank you that maybe we're even under more grace than than Saul was because he suffered detrimentally magnificently and I pray for your grace to move in us to be people of faith bold faith father yeah that irritates uh, the opposition it will father it's a bold faith that identifies the fake devotion it's a bold faith that ignores some obstructions and it's a bold faith that has a plan and inspires others give us grace to live for you we pray in Jesus name
Amen. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the God moves you, you're invited to get up and go to one of the tables and, and take the elements of communion.